turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. She's blonde, five foot two, and one hundred two pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. I'm Wendy Patrick, filling in for my good friend, AK. We have a terrific show in store for you tonight. And you probably are thinking, how can we possibly narrow down everything going on in the country to really decide what to focus on? Well, we do have a big day tomorrow because tomorrow is, as many of you know, if you follow politics, the second, not the third, but the second and the final presidential debate. That's right. This will be the candidates unmasked and muted. Remember, that is going to be a little bit different from the first debate. I have a feeling that's going to inure to the benefit of both candidates. But it's going to be a very big showdown precisely because the first debate probably didn't go quite as planned or at least not quite as planned for either of the candidates. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that, what we think, expectations, who stands to lose more by a poor performance, and what the polls can really tell us about where this election is really headed. Can you believe we're just two weeks away? But I actually have a special guest that's going to join me in breaking down some of these very interesting political issues uh, a political candidate herself, Melanie Burkholder. Are you there, Melanie? Hey, Wendy. It's great to be with you. I'm just going to give you a quick heads up. On my end, I'm only hearing every uh, other sentence or so. So if I don't seem to be responding, it's because you might need to repeat it. <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Melanie, you are actually running for elected office yourself. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I'm running for the California State Assembly in the 76th District. Um, the district includes North Coastal San Diego County, so the cities of Encinitas, Oceanside, Vista, Carlsbad, and, of course, our beloved Camp Pendleton. That's right. And I'll tell you what, as a candidate yourself, you can appreciate how high the stakes are when you talk about presidential debates. One of the things we always talk about is, gosh, is it really true that everybody's going to wait till the last minute and vote on Election Day. After all, there's so many options. There's absentee. There's mail-in balloting. Two very different things. Remember, President Trump talks a lot about that. Um, but there's lots of ways to vote early. However, it is also true that many people enjoy the experience. They enjoy fulfilling their civic duty. They love to take a little bit of time on voting day. Some people take the day off. They stand in line. They like to get their little stickers, although I know you get those if you vote absentee as well. But there are lots of ways in which people may actually be waiting till the very last minute. 
not to mention the undecideds. So, Melanie, I know you and I both follow all of this to a T. Do you have any predictions as to what might be in store for us tomorrow night on that debate stage? Yes, I'm so glad that you brought up the debate and uh, the early voting and what's happening right now, Um, particularly since my opponent refuses to debate me. I'm just happy that our presidential candidates are going to face off again tomorrow evening. Um, And I think it'll be an opportunity for our president of the former vice president and get some clarity on some of the issues that are uh, running in the news right now, like the Hunter Biden laptop issue, what was on that, uh, what is meant by this 10% for the big guy. I know in my world, 10% for the big guy is a tithe. It's 10% to the church for God. And I don't, I would not (laughs) even like say that would not even way to get around actually telling the American people what is meant by all of that, because that is a very curious question. And, you know, we need to know what that is meant. Oh, absolutely. One of the things that I think is going to characterize uh, tomorrow night's debate that I'm very, very excited for. I think that both sides have very much regrouped between the gosh, has it only been a couple of weeks? It seems like a long time ago when we watched that slow train wreck. That was the first debate. I don't think either side believed they did particularly good. So because they probably have revamped their strategy, there will sure enough be an emphasis on process, but also on content. Remember, we We've heard some differing reports and there's been some switch ups as to what exactly the topics are going to be for tomorrow night. Many people feel that foreign policy should take more of a center stage, given it's the last debate. But in terms of who's really going to do well, substance wise, you know, we always say presidential debates are a mix of flash and substance. Not that anybody ever accused Joe Biden of being flashy, but he's going to have to bring his A game because, of course, the president will be in his sweet spot, at least a, at at least according to the the life that he's led in the public eye on that debate stage. So if he's going to be big man on stage, um, Joe Biden still is going to have to have some substance to bring to the table. What do you suppose are going to be the biggest substantive issues that the American people are going to care about tomorrow night? I think foreign policy is definitely the fact that it's not on the table is a disappointment, uh, particularly because we have so many things going on in foreign countries right now. But um, just to think about what's going to be on the table, uh, the COVID response uh, and, 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 you know, the broader picture here is Joe Biden's been in service to this country in public service for 47 years. What does he have to bring to the table? What records? to show that it's made a lasting impact for us. So I'm curious if he will bring up some of his successes in the past um, and and indicate, you know, how he plans to lead in the future. Um, And I think when you look back at what President Trump has done over the past four years, well, he has a really long list of of, uh, accomplishments. You know, I wanted to go back quickly, uh, Wendy, if you don't mind, when you were talking about voter turnout and, uh, you know, I do love going to the with my students just to fulfill that civic duty to just have the energy around um, you know the actual voting but if, if the national is going anything like what our California uh, voter turnout is in the 76 we've got about 26 percent uh, Republicans have returned their ballots 49 uh, percent of Democrats have returned their ballots and 25 percent declined the state so it, it it really is a, um, a mix-up right there right It'll, you know, that's right. And one of the things, 
Yeah. Well, you know, I'd like to talk more even about voting. I mean, um, you know, that that's probably one of the things that we were going to get into as well. But in terms of, you know, the undecideds and what are they going to do? What are they thinking? It's been shown in elections past that many undecideds really break over style over substance. That seems so strange to those of us that follow these issues so closely. But there's a lot to be said for the reality that when it comes to kitchen table issues, you know, many voters are very impressed by the state of the economy. And that's despite a lot of the uh, drawbacks that we've had during the COVID pandemic. And they are still hopeful that we're going to reopen. They're going to get to go back to work. So uh, do you really think that I know the 49 years versus 49 months, that was one of the president's best lines in the first debate, um, making that comparison. (laughs) But do you think that's going to hold up tomorrow night in terms of the economy, given that we cannot deny that there have been significant setbacks for many Americans? Yeah, and I'm so glad that you brought that up because I am super focused right now on opening our economy in California and getting our kids back to school. You know, you know, as well as I do as a mental health therapist, that these kids are suffering far more uh, being home with their abusers, with their food insecurity, without their friends around and without being inundated. Uh, You know, I think that the focus on the economy is going to be extraordinarily important in tomorrow night's debate, Um, particularly if you look at at states like California, where we're still uh, fumbling around with some sort of reopen phasing uh, color chart that doesn't make sense to most anybody. And and, I mean, really, it it really is like a game. Um, And it's just really uh, more playing with people's minds at this point than it is actually a science drove the the president's uh, decision making early on in the COVID response. And, uh, you know, we are, as a nation, probably better off because of the decisions he made. But here in California, we've got to get some things straightened out. And so um, I I can't urge people enough to write their school board members and, you know, talk to their principals and teachers and let's get these kids back in school. It's just a, a model that's not well, you know, you mentioned you mentioned back to you. That's true. You mentioned back to school. And one of the things that we've been seeing and we've been concerned about and, you know, who knows whether this is going to come up tomorrow night, because you know how it is. I mean, the, the moderators yeah. can only sort of suggest topics. That's not to say that both candidates won't go after each other. You mentor Hunter Biden. That's definitely going to be something the president brings up. But in terms of, you know, things that voters care the most about, the back to school issues is definitely high on that list. And as a therapist, I know this is something near and dear to your heart. You know, so many kids, and I know our parents who are listening out there would, would uh, relate to this as well. School for kids often provides, of course, far more than academics. It's social value. It's the socialization value. And it's also an opportunity to connect with pro-social resources that keep them mm-hmm. out of trouble. And I know we, we say we can recreate everything virtually, but we can't recreate the in-person chemistry that sometimes accounts for great role modeling and mentoring opportunities for our young people. And I know that this is no doubt something that's on the mind of the American voters. And I just I wonder, as I look at the different candidate statements and listen to the stump speeches and watch the campaign rallies, is that concern mm-hmm. something that's likely to benefit the president? Or is that something that Joe Biden has been trying to run on? Yeah, I mean, I think it really is, Wendy. I think it's going to benefit the president. What I think the district is that, you know, you tell us two weeks to slow 
a curve, okay, and then you tell us actually we're going to change the goalposts, and now we're going to put the kids out of school, and now indefinitely out of school. And so what you've done is really riled the cage of a bunch of people that typically have their head in the sand that everything's smooth in life, we're going along, sailing just beautifully, and now we have this huge issue, and those people are coming out to vote. And that's important as well as candidates like myself that are down ballot. Yeah. And, you know, down ballot candidates as yourself, I mean, you can relate as well to the fact that there really is this this impact, this tone at the top. And, you know, for better or for worse, it's one of the things that's characterized politics for as many years as I can remember. And as we watch Mm -hmm. the presidential debate and as we you know, as we follow this and we're going to talk about voters probably a little bit in the next block. But, you know, it's not it's not just good TV. It really matters to many of the undecideds who may be calling this election, because one of the other things that we'll be getting into to is how much can we really trust the polls? It's a different question than when we asked it in 2016, but it's still a very valid question today. And I'd like to debate whether or not we think it's even more valid of a question today. So we hope you will stick with us. You are listening to The Andrea K Show. This is Wendy Patrick filling in for Andrea Kay. Uh, stay with us. We will be back in a flash with more politics. Follow Andrea Kay on Twitter at Andrea Kay Show. And follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea Kay. Spelled K-A-Y-E. A-K, dynamite and address, or just Andrea Kay. Whatever you call her, don't call her fake news. It's the Andrea Kay Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to the Andrea K Show. My name is Wendy Patrick. I have the pleasure of filling in for AK tonight. So we are talking politics, and it is just so exciting to be two weeks away from an election. I can't believe it. We were saying 120 days, 90 days, 60 days, and now we are two weeks away. Very much something to talk about, uh, and everybody's getting a little bit nervous. And it's not just because there's a debate tomorrow night. It's because of the polls and polling and voting and all the things that go along with an election. One thing that is of enormous relevance this election cycle, it was relevant the first time around, but maybe even more so now. Can we trust the polls? In other words, we are hearing that Joe Biden is enjoying quite a lead over the president. Hillary Clinton also enjoyed a lead over the president, but the lead is a little bit stronger for Mr. Biden, at least in some significant jurisdictions. But can we trust those numbers or might it be true that stealth voting? Remember, we coined that term four years ago. Everybody knew what it meant. (laughs) Stealth voters, those are the ones that basically are not really too excited about saying who they're going to vote for because they think they may be choosing an unpopular candidate. But in fact, they very much intend to come forward and vote for the president, would that voting block be big enough to make up this supposed deficit? Um, Dr. Melanie, you know a lot about voting and voting patterns. You're a candidate yourself. I mean, what do you think? You know, it just, I hearken back to 2016 when uh, for about a year I was uh, someone of the uh, of the Democrat Party about how I just knew President Trump was going to win the election. And 
I'm also uh, a former Secret Service agent, so not only have I seen a campaign cycle, been on the road with candidates, now I am a candidate myself, but I know what the trends are and what they look like. And when I see, you know, 2,500 votes down, I'm on one of them, down at the rally, it's unbelievable to see this uh, type of support for a Republican uh, presidential candidate in California. This is what we all think, right? But when we see these numbers growing at rallies and the events that he's having and the enthusiasm behind uh, wanting to vote for this president, who, by the way, has been beaten up since before he was ever even elected for the entire time he's been president, and uh, he still maintains um, his con- and uh, he's on the right track. He, he's not veered from the goals that he has. It's determined that uh, will help America. So I don't, uh, to answer that question in <laughs> a really long-winded way, I don't put a lot of faith in the polls because, you know, as you know, as a researcher yourself, we can always make something show what we need to make it show. And uh, it depends on who you're polling and what, what they're saying. I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, Arizona where Biden maybe Florida, where Biden's saying that it's a plus one. These are not big margins. Um, and That's right. It's, it's true. It's, it's, it's close it's, in a lot of those states that you mentioned. You know, yeah. one other thing that I think is very uh, almost distinctive about this election is the level of enthusiasm. Now, ironically, yeah. it was the candidates that are older than both of these current candidates, like Bernie Sanders, that sometimes his, his rallies were like rock concerts. I mean, young people mm-hmm. and music and all the rest of that. So looking at the president and looking at Joe Biden and looking at their respective rallies, the people, the energy, the enthusiasm, the yelling and screaming and lining the streets with flags, it just seems like if that were the way we were going to determine who is actually going to be motivated to get out there and vote or even fill out a ballot at home, it sure seems like there is an enormous amount of traction for the president. And so you see these rallies and then you compare them with what you see on the other side. And there's just no comparison in terms of this enthusiasm. So what then explains these numbers? Is it just math and the fact that, you know, you can't really trust who's filling them out? I mean, why wouldn't, and I love to play devil's advocate because as a researcher, you appreciate that, you know, sometimes you can't trust the way we get the numbers. Why wouldn't that level of enthusiasm translate then into people filling out these polls? Are they not among the swath of society that's actually being asked these questions? Because you know, we've heard the president say for the past, um, I don't know, a couple of days, a week about how he really wants the, the women's vote, the uh, what he used to call housewives, but, you know, he got reprimanded for that. So now he's called suburban women. Uh, he wants our vote. And, you know, I don't know about you, Wendy, but it's been my experience that Republicans just don't go around saying, I'm going to vote for you or, you know, and, and announce what they're going to do. We've with that information uh, historically. And I think uh, it is so completely opposite with uh, this president and that Republicans are now coming out saying, no, I'm going to vote for Trump, you know, and at risk of injury to their life. No doubt we've seen these cases where people just are so upset because they don't like him. They don't like his personality, um, regardless of what he's done. That's been really good for the economy, for example, or foreign policy or uh, the enthusiasm, I think, is there even. I mean, have you ever heard uh, people talking about flipping California red in, you know, in, in a long time? I haven't. But, oh, yeah. You know, no, you know, <laughs> no, we really haven't. You know, we really haven't. And it's, it's interesting. You know, this election cycle is so divisive. And, 
you know, just in time for Thanksgiving, we're going to move from polls to poultry. And let's see how that goes with all the the discussions around the the Thanksgiving table. But one of the things that um, I know a lot of voters have been watching very closely, you know, true, you know, kitchen table issues, people care about this and that, and, you know, the divisiveness. You've got to wonder whether or not uh, all of those voters who just don't want to cast a vote for the president. So that would be the reason they would vote for Mr. Biden. As we get closer to the election, are they really casting a vote maybe for Kamala mm-hmm. Harris, who is younger, who is uh, somebody that may very well be able to run for terms afterwards, after she's vice president? You know, the one thing about um, about Kamala and the vice president, Mike Pence, that we noted in the last debate was that it was almost as if those two were debating not just as surrogates, but also as potential substitutes. In other words, with the age, not that 70s is old and not that either of these men lack energy, despite the the nickname that the president gave Joe Biden. But notwithstanding all of that, it's just true. The older you get, the more there might be an opportunity um, to allow a vice president to take the reins or they may have to even temporarily if there were an operation or something like that. God forbid. But didn't you get the feeling that the vice presidential debate uh, and even now going into the, the general, I mean, it's sort of like we're looking at the top of the ticket, but we can't help but also take account, maybe more so than ever, as to who might be that second in command. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people that they do have someone that's second in command that can take the helm as needed. Um, and, I, you know, when, when you look at Mike Pence and Kamala Harris could not be more different in that's for uh, sure everything yeah and so um we have a decision to make uh with regard to um who's going to take the helm should unfortunately should something drastically uh, change or uh, vice president biden could not uh, maintain so that would be a, a horrible situation obviously but um it is important that we know and have the confidence in that person to to be able to step in and take control of the country um and it almost seems we- like yeah absolutely it almost seems like mm-hmm. that concern and and thinking that through is really on the minds of americans mm-hmm. just as it was but to a much lesser extent uh, when uh, when we had our 2016 um, elections. Now, we all remember that. When you had the vice presidential debate back in 2016, those two men were almost the same guy. I mean, people were watching television. They couldn't tell them apart. They looked alike. They had similar <laughs> backgrounds, et cetera. They were both Christians. Um, it, it was just one of those things that uh, you just reminded me of it when you said Kamala and Mike Pence couldn't be farther apart. That mm-hmm. is more true during this election cycle than ever before, is you at the time top of the ticket and the second in command is a study in contrast. And that is one of the reasons why no doubt so much of the country is watching so closely, maybe closer than ever before deciding whether or not, especially if you're in that undecided group, whether or not you're actually going to be persuaded by what you see on the debate stage. I also have to say, and I got about uh, 10 seconds left in this block, but I have to say, I believe that that might just as a trial lawyer myself, that might be the reason why the nerves, why the misspeaking, why the uh, excitement on stage is it just the stakes are just so high. But hold that thought. Mm -hmm. We're going to switch gears and talk a little bit about judicial nominations and appointments after the break. You are listening to the Andrea K show. I'm Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend, AK. Stay with us. We'll be back in a flash. 
follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K. Spelled K-A-Y-E. Andrea K, bringing the world a much-needed reality check. You're listening to the Andrea K Show on the Answer San Diego. Welcome back to the Andrea K Show. This is Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend Andrea K. Well, we have been talking about the elections. We've been talking about politics. And one thing that we just have to recognize in this election cycle, and it's probably true to some extent every time there's a presidential election, is the presence and the power of single issue voters. Now, some single issue voters are interested in the United States Supreme Court for a lot of reasons. And this election cycle, we may have even more than ever why? Because we actually have an opportunity, the conservatives, I should say, do to have a Supreme Court that is weighted six to three, at least in most cases, prospectively, if Judge Amy Coney Barrett is confirmed. Now, many of us in the legal community watched with great interest her confirmation hearing, and it was not the fireworks that Justice Kavanaugh's hearing entailed, which was thankful uh, to everybody that watched. Nobody wanted a redo of something like that. It was far more subdued. And one of the things that really characterized Judge Barrett's confirmation hearings was probably the lack of fireworks in terms of questions directed to her and the presence of animosity between the dueling sides, the Republicans and the Democrats. In fact, as I watched, I almost felt like I was watching arrows flying over her head as the (laughs) Democrats and the Republicans fired on each other. And she was just sort of this unwitting bystander that provided the forum for the rest of the gladiators to be in the ring. And I think that sort of carried through, not just to the questioning, but also to her answers. I mean, did she keep her cool in the hot seat as much as you expected, Dr. Melanie? Yeah. And um, sorry, I just switched out there. Uh, Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, yeah, it was kind of like a tennis match where she was actually the net and not, not <laughs> it was so bizarre. Um, but you know, when you look at a lady that is uh, so sharp and her mind is so uh, fine-tuned to the knowledge that base that she has and do anything, there was an empty, empty notepad, you know, in front of her. And for her to be able to retain all of that information, it was just incredibly impressive. And um, I do believe there was a lot of, like you said, kind of talking over her at each other instead of, um, but, but there really is nothing there that they can uh, fault her on. I mean, I, I know they tried to throw out the Christian card as, you know, for some reason in this day and age, it's just wrong for us to be, churches are still closed, but you can go get an abortion right now. You know, liquor stores are open, but you can't go worship and worship is essential. And so this uh, overreach is uh, from our governor is certainly impeding uh, people like myself that prefer to worship in person. So um, I I digress. But anyway, I just uh, I really was impressed. I think most of us were impressed. And I think you're going to vote, um, you know, next Monday on this confirmation. And, but I just think when you have a vice presidential, uh, a candidate for president, uh, former vice president Biden, who was asked about packing the courts and it just declined to answer the question, then that's right. Know, talk about one issue candidates. I mean, we got some one issue candidates, but that's his answer. It's almost like Nancy Pelosi saying, let's just pass it and then we'll find out what's in it. 
president regarding Obamacare. So um, it's just a kind of well, a Nancy Pelosi waited on this issue, too. That you remember when Nancy Pelosi gave that now infamous press conference where she talked about having arrows in her quiver. Now, we're not exactly sure which arrows she took out, whether uh, whether court packing was one of them. But it's interesting you bring that up because it, it reminds me of so many of uh, maybe just the tenor, if not the tone of the questions that Judge Barrett was asked, including questions like, you know, could the could the president pardon himself? I mean, talk about an unanswered question with no president. Nobody's ever tried. Um, and, and the precedential value of the opinions that Judge Barrett did and didn't you remember some of them she answered some she basically said you know that's the ginsburg rule i'm paraphrasing and yeah that may come before me but the fact that she held up that blank notepad that's now become a meme there's all sorts of things written on it on twitter and everywhere else but really went to show that this debate in in congress in the senate it's more about process than merits and it's not necessarily even about merits. It's going to be about math on Monday. You know, the Republicans have the votes. So as we're thinking mm-hmm. this through, you know, a lot of our listeners don't really um, know the full extent of what court packing would be about. And I only say that not being that they're very intelligent listeners, but it's so complicated. And so much, so many people have sort of misstated it. I mean, I've heard it stated like, oh, that's when you have a conservative or a liberal majority on the court. No, court packing is about adding justices. And part (laughs) of the problem is exactly that is let's say, you know, the Democrats come into power and, you know, they win the Senate and the House and they add three justices. And then the next, you know, a cycle, the Republicans take over, they add three more. I mean, where would that end? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a slippery slope to go down. And as you mentioned, Republicans do outnumber Democrats. 53 to 47. So I feel confident that this will be uh, a successful confirmation for Amy Coney Barrett. Um, and court packing just simply is another way to get your way. I'm not going to, this is not going to be a fair and balanced approach. It's going to be my way or the highway. So it's simply not a good practice to um, adhere to or to begin, at least. And I don't think it's done that frequently. I think we've gone from, what, seven to justices, nine, 11, or whatever. And uh, it's uh, varied in, in different time, times in our history. But I don't think that would be a fair way to approach, um, for, to approach that issue. And the fact so, that we've been at nine for... Yeah. And the fact that we've been at nine justices for well over a century shows that it's a bipartisan Mm -hmm. issue that neither side really has wanted to advance. And it would be very politically curious. And I'm being gracious if suddenly (laughs) there was a a renewed interest and there were reasons and rationale that had never come up before. You know, the one thing I do have to say that makes uh, her nomination very different than in years past. Now, it's true. In years past, most justices were confirmed unanimously. Imagine that, including justices like Scalia. I mean, it's at where have we come in the last however many years that it's become so divisive, where it's literally right down along party lines. But one thing that Judge Barrett brings to the table is she's likable. She is humanized by the fact that she is, remember, she said she's used to being in a group of nine. She has seven children, including two of them adopted from Haiti. Her youngest has Down syndrome and is apparently the family favorite. And she's the oldest of seven kids. So you can imagine she's used to chaos. She probably thought that that confirmation hearing was like a a light day at home, given what she's used to to dealing with. But the human factor that she brings to the table is something. And I have to say, I got to believe that was in play in 2017 when she went through her confirmation hearing for the Seventh Circuit. Because in in that mm-hmm. hearing, three Democratic senators voted to confirm her. Do you think any Democrats are going to vote to confirm her on Monday? 
I don't see Democrats being able to do anything that might help uh, a Republican at, at all, because even if you look at the, the COVID relief plan, Wendy, they can't even get together on how many trillions of dollars they're going to spend. And, and Democrats historically love spending other people's money, right? So I can't. <laughs> They can't get together on this relief package. Meanwhile, we still have small businesses closing. Uh, you know, we have CARES Act relief going into schools and teachers aren't there teaching our children. So how is that money actually being spent? Our tax dollars are not representing the needs of the districts, but at least not the ones that I'm in. And, and so I just doubt that there's ever going to be during this administration uh, anything that the Democrats will do that would actually help Republicans. Well, I think especially in and and Nancy being so divisive about it. So, yeah, no, that's true. Chuck and Nancy. I love it. That's the way that's the way everybody (laughs) refers to him as, you know, the the other thing that I think would make it uh, highly unlikely that any Democrats would break ranks and uh, vote to confirm um, Judge Barrett is the fact that the election results themselves may be an issue that winds its way up to the Supreme Court, much like the year 2000. Remember Bush versus Gore, the hanging chads. And it was actually the Supreme Court decision, a 5-4 mm-hmm. decision, mind you, that handed the election effectively to President Bush by halting the recount in Florida. This time, this election, I don't remember there ever being such uh, such rhetoric uh, lately about, you know, who's good. Who's going to accept the results and what's that going to entail? You know, and in, in just the, the minute that I have left, let me just say that for people that are watching and waiting to see the results of this confirmation vote on Monday, the fact that the election results themselves might be in front of Judge Barrett almost precludes the possibility of Democrats voting for Judge Barrett, even if under under circumstances, they probably would agree that she's far less of a controversial candidate than some of the picks that the president could have selected. So after the yeah, break, we, yeah. after the break, we're going to turn to a very different topic, but one that you probably are using each and every day to research the candidates. And that is the fate of Google. You do not want to miss this segment. Stay with us. You are listening to the Andrea K show. I'm Wendy Patrick filling in for my good friend, AK stay with us. We'll be back in a flash. Follow Andrea K on Twitter at Andrea K Show. And follow her on Facebook and like her fan page at Andrea K. Spelled K-A-Y-E. News, politics, and current events. It's the Andrea K Show on the Answer San Diego. Welcome back to the Andrea K Show. Thank you for sticking with us. We have a very interesting, relevant, timely topic to discuss. That's right. It is something that each of you use probably all day, every day. And that is the browser that supports Google. Now, you Google everything. We all do. And we're talking about politics. We Google political candidates and propositions and everything else that's going to be on the ballot. But have you ever wondered whether or not uh, that's going to be here forever? And some of you might think, well, wait a minute. Why is it that every time I pull up a browser, Google pops up? Uh, Well, that is finally now being called into question 
by a lawsuit against the company for having a monopoly. Basically, the argument is it's anti-competition. It is something that's not good for business. It shouldn't be the case that they could pay companies like Apple and others to basically have their search engine come up first. I mean, think about it. When we pull up a, a browser, why don't we, why isn't it Bing or Yahoo? And some of you are thinking, yeah, sometimes I do see those. But then what do you do? You probably type in Google and you go there. Well, that's also going to be one of the issues during this lawsuit. And we just wanted to talk about this for a minute because, you know, this is a big deal. Google has not only become a noun and a verb, but it's a household name. It's something that people use every day. And you just think to yourself, what would life be like without it? And I don't know. I, I think, Dr. Melanie, you actually may be a good person to talk about this one with as well because of the kind of counseling you do. What would we do if we were deprived of this opportunity to basically research instantly anything we want? <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the things. Yeah. So what, yeah, what we're looking at is basically allegedly uh, these exclusionary practices saying that there are some people that aren't represented. What I find so funny about this whole thing, though, is people actually pay money to get their reputations cleaned up on, uh, you know, when you search right. Google or whatever. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Um, they, you know, they try to scrub their websites or web because what I tell clients oftentimes if they come to me and say, you know, I, I'm obsessive compulsive disorder or something like that. I'm like, how did you get this information? Oh, I Googled it. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait a minute. Right. Oh, just start there. You know, start with first. It's first things first. And you can really put yourself into a frenzy Googling, you know, ailments and pains and aches and mental illnesses and things like that. So it is, um, while it is a use this case to be really interesting on all the levels, you know, because we have seen definitely, you're, just like you said, why is it that Google pops up, you know? Well, we've seen that because they have, the, they're big in play. They have money, right? Money buys these things. And so money buys you the, prominence and it also buys you yep. priority when it comes to the search. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, and how does this tie into the election? Well, remember that this is highly significant to the election because Attorney General Bill Barr, he wanted to move quickly to take this action before the election. He was making good on President Trump's pledge to take on big tech. Now, what I find fascinating about this is it ends up being sort of a bipartisan issue. So there's some unlikely alliances that are behind this lawsuit and this push to basically say, you know, this shouldn't be a monopoly. The government basically says Google is illegally protecting its dominant position in the market for search and search advertising. And it's exactly what you said, Melanie. It's it, They're striking deals with Apple and they're paying billions of dollars mm -hmm. a year to have to be the default option. But one of the things that the, the Justice Department has to show not only is that it it's dominant in search, but also that it deals with Apple and other companies in such a fashion that it is hobbling competition. It is preventing right. this healthy competition. Doesn't the president thrive on healthy competition in, in business? I mean, isn't that what he's built his empire on? Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, really, if you Google or search up something like a vacuum cleaner, well, your Amazon ads are going to pop up and that's going to be happening immediately. And um, I, I just, I, you know, it really is. They follow your, uh, they track your activity online and market toward you. And that is really a market, a, a monopoly power because 
um, you know, I remember that's not even, it's all, you know, Amazon driven now. And so that is kind of the deeper issue of this. Is, is this now an abuse of power or, you know, is it really an actual monopoly and how are we going to work our way out of that? But I do think it's wonderful that the president is taking up big tech and, and you know, that kind of flies in the face of everybody's presidency before him, right? Nobody's really been willing to take that head on. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I know a lot of people in both camps and I'll bet you we have listeners in both camps as well. So there's one school of thought. I know people that say, I love optimized ads. You know, I look for something, I search for something. And then when I'm on Facebook or Google or whatever else, these things just pop up and I think, oh, that's great. I can click on them. That's exactly what I need. Other people get freaked out. They think it's an invasion of privacy. They use they use sites like DuckDuckGo, you know, things that always keep your identity private. You don't know who's looking at what. But Google, for Google to be challenged in a fashion that uh, has really made them so popular. I was going to make the joke earlier that not only do we do use Google, but then we go straight to Wikipedia. <laughs> so no, that's no, kind no, of the, the, the double whammy <laughs> there you know but i know yeah. in defense of wikipedia it's a starting place to get some basic information about whatever it is you're researching whether it's ailments or anything else um, but if this were to be a successful breakup or whatever we want to call it i understand that this uh, this lawsuit may proceed at glacial speed given the issues involved so it may uh, may take a while but you know i mean what would talk about whether it's a good move for the president or not what would it look like? I feel like we're having the TikTok discussion all over again. Is it a popular move for the Department of Justice, uh, probably at the direction and encouragement of the president? At least this is what he said he wanted to do. Is it a popular move to take on eliminating something on which the American public has become so reliant? Yeah, we're so reliant and so dependent on it. But at the end of the day, Wendy, maybe it just determines who's the winner and who's the loser. So I don't think big tech should be able to determine what uh, products I buy or what I'm being able to see. You know, if I only get to see Hoover vacuum cleaners, then I don't get to see Mila. And I don't know which one I want. But so actually picking winners and losers. And do we really want uh, big tech to be determining that in the grand scheme of things? So that's um, right. I think it'll be. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how it turns out. I think it's a great point you make about do you just want to be exposed to one side of things? Because, you know, one thing and I know this is probably going to come up with the debate in some um, some form or fashion tomorrow night. In fact, it might characterize the whole tenor of the debate is this 49 years versus 49 months. So the president has mm-hmm. done a, a, just such an enormous amount of work uh, in the last uh, in the last four years. It's probably going to come up uh, even in terms of this this Google lawsuit, the things that he talks about that have to do with changing the way we do business, eliminating competition, bringing people back to America, keeping jobs in America, putting more Americans back to work. And when you think through it through a lens like that we may think oh the byproduct of that will be it'll be difficult more difficult to search you know we live in a day and age dr melanie where it is just not difficult to do anything at our fingertips we have the tools we need to order what we want buy what we want you mentioned amazon i mean i know people that have that that two-step clicking down to where they can order something and have it delivered like within the day they have everything preloaded which i think it might be dangerous depending on who you're ordering from but lawsuits like this you know the president's no stranger to lawsuits or encouraging lawsuits like this uh will this type of litigation that has been really characterizing the last four years is that something the american public cares about going to the polls do they want to elect somebody that is just so non-controversial 
uh, that it's just going to sort of not be really fireworks on either side. I guess it's going back to the excitement and enthusiasm question. Do we want somebody who's just totally predictable in office or somebody that's not afraid to mix things up to try to maybe get a more of a benefit for the American people, even if it's in an unorthodox fashion? Well, you just add, there's about three shows worth of information that you just gave me. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We literally could talk about this. I mean, let's just talk about the, you know, opening of things, you know, opening of businesses and and, uh, bringing back the economy and and the the strong economy that we had prior to COVID. And, um, you know, do we want a leader that's going to say, I'm going to close it back down? And that says, let's navigate this based on data and science and make people safely uh, able to reopen their businesses and, and their livelihoods. Churches closed, schools closed. I mean, do we want a leader that's going to say, wait a minute, why are we trampling over uh, people's First Amendment and, and the right to assembly? I think that's a great way to end it there, Dr. Mallory. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Wendy Patrick, and it's been my pleasure this hour to fill in for my good friend, Andrea Kay. Thank you for spending some time with us. God bless you.